and love is all that I can give to you. Love is more than just a game for two. Two in love can make it. Take my heart and please don't break it. Love was made for me and you. Welcome to Love Savers Radio, ministering the blessings of covenant. This is Walter and Sandy Fox from Love Savers Ministry, called by God to minister the blessings of the marriage covenant by enriching, encouraging, strengthening, and praying for the healing of marriages, especially marriages in crisis. Hi, Love Savers listeners. This is Keith Davis, the proprietor of the Golden Pear Cafes. As I enter my 30th year of marriage, I encourage you to seek the Lord's guidance and wisdom for your marriage, for He is the one who can help you day by day in building a lifetime of peace, joy, fond memories, and a beautiful family. When Anne walked into the Golden Pear to apply for a job as Golden Pear's first pastry chef, I had no idea that God had brought my future wife and mother of our three children literally to my front door. But that is exactly what he did. And although we have had our challenges and ups and downs, God has richly blessed our marriage and he gets the glory for our 30 years together. So I encourage you to seek God's will and use Love Savers as a resource to improve and bless your marriage. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Mark chapter 10, verse 9. Today's guest author is Barb Roos. She wrote the book, Winning the Worry Battle, Life Lessons from the Book of Joshua. She asked the questions, have you ever tried to fight worry with faith and felt you were losing the battle? Have said comments like, God's got this, or just pray about it, only left you feeling more burdened. We know we shouldn't worry, but the reality is that we all do at times. Whether it's personal worries about loved ones and daily circumstances, or broader concerns about what's happening in the world, we long for something more than platitudes that will help us put real feet to our faith and win the worry battle. Sandy talks with Miss Roos today about her new book, Winning the Worry Battle, Life Lessons from the Book of Joshua. Let's listen. Hi, Barb. How are you? All right. We're going to be discussing your book, Winning the Worry Battle, Life Lessons from the Book of Joshua by Barb Bruce. And worry is something that both a husband and wife can do, that whole kind of feeling of anxiety or there are so many labels that come under worry like panic attacks etc and they can really interfere with a good marital relationship we have a marriage ministry and that's why I wanted to share with our listeners on this subject how many people are affected by worry and anxiety disorders? How much time does the average person spend worrying daily, have you found? One specific study by a national mental health organization said that 40 million American adults struggle with anxiety, and the average person worries 55 minutes per day, and those numbers are 
really powerful numbers, but when we also contextualize it, if there are 40 million adults, that means one out of five adults struggles with worry or anxiety. If you grew up in a household and your mom struggled uh, or your dad struggled, that meant that their relationship, if one of those individuals was constantly overwhelmed with worst-case scenarios, uh, constantly acting out of their anxiety or their worry, that always has an, a significant impact on how we live and breathe in our relationships and marriage as well as raise our family. That's right. What are the most common things people worry about? And what are some of the things you worry about on a regular basis? Well, I think that worry can be summed up in worrying about the F. Family, friends, finances, fitness or our health. Um, factory, which is our career, the future. Those are things that people commonly worry about. And for me, I worried about every last one of them. Uh, when I was in high school, I was first born, very type A, and my approach to life was to try to think of all of the bad things that could happen in a situation. I struggled with uncertainty. So my approach was to figure out all the worst-case scenarios and then try to come up with solutions for those worst-case scenarios. But the problem was, was that I taught myself to think about all of the worst-case scenarios all of the time. So I got married young. My husband and I married. We were He was 20. It was a week before I turned 20, and we had our oldest daughter pretty early. And as a wife and as a mother, I thought the loving thing to do was worry. If you care about people, you worry about them. And when I worried, I would think about all the worst-case scenarios. So I was always looking for disaster. And as you can imagine, that made for or a lot of tense times in our relationship because I was always looking for something to go wrong. Right. The Gallup poll, um, a recent one, talks about money being about 46% of the focus of our worries and direction of our country and Social Security and of possible terrorist attacks that's been a concern of mine I must say lately it even makes me worry about traveling because of that the economy the availability of health care those are some big ones right and pretty normal ones to worry about although we what is the difference between worrying and really worrying a little about some of those issues that I just mentioned and serious anxiety situations. What is the difference in worry? One is just one extreme worry, I mean, right? One is just worrying. There's a normal worry. Everybody worries about those things. And then there's an extreme worry, right? Would you one of the things that 
Yeah, so we realize that the, the researchers tell us everyone worries. Right. And that is true for all of us. And so there is a place where we all look at a situation and we see we don't understand it or we don't know what's going to happen. And we're all tempted to have those what-if thoughts. What if this goes wrong? When it comes to whether or not worry or anxiety is interfering with our lives, that is a very personal question. We have to think about whether or not worry or anxiety is making it difficult for us to sleep at night. If you think about a scale of 1 to 10, 1 being little impact, 10 being a lot of impact, at a point at which you discover that your worry or anxiety is like over a five where you determine this for yourself. It's a good idea to talk with a healthcare professional. Uh, if it's your, if you find yourself sleepless at night or if you'd rate your stress every day over a five for weeks on end, if you cannot shut off your negative thinking that your mind is racing all the time, if you find that your heart is always racing or you have that sick feeling in your stomach whenever you are trying to problem solve. Those physical symptoms are an indicator that you might need to have a conversation with your healthcare professional because there may be a biological piece of your worry and anxiety that you need to address. And addressing it then will allow you to then make more tools effective. It's really hard to, to put anti-anxiety tools, coping tools in place when your body physically isn't ready for it. So being aware of where, of where you're at on a scale of 1 to 10 and calling your, calling your healthcare professional if you're over a 5 is a good first next step. Right. Um, you have some tools you talked about, and, um, you know, some might kind of chuckle a bit at, at some of them, and yet you can really understand how they would really work, like a little soft stone, putting it between your, your thumb and your index finger, and just rubbing on it. Physically, it really calms you, and um, science proves that. But if you add to that, as you suggest a prayer to the Lord while you're doing that and making it a habit, that can really bring you to that place of calm that you talk about. And another tool that you talk about is easy to remember when you think of the letters C-A-L-M. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that tool, the calm tool? The calm technique. The tools and techniques that I talk about in the book are all based out of the book of Joshua. And like you said, folks could say, well, wait a minute, is that just self-help? Well, in this case, what I've discovered for my life is that God has given us a lot of his Holy Spirit-empowered tools in the Bible. Peace and courage and strength are the three I talked about in the book. Yes. But I also think about it like my daughter. My daughter is an officer in the U.S. Army. And when she arrived at West Point for her four years of college and military training, there were a lot of tools that she was given at West Point. They had a lot of equipment and a lot of training. But they didn't just leave them the tools and say, hey, good luck, kids. She had to learn how to use them. And so there were techniques 
that she had to learn in order to use the tools. And that's what I offer in the Bibles or in the book, is I offer the technique. So the calm technique, it's about reducing our physical symptoms so that we can reconnect with God. The C stands for count to five. And people go, well, you know what, I've counted to five and I'm still stressed. Well, in this case, yeah. count to five is inhale on the number and then exhale the word Mississippi. And the, the dual combination of that function not only slows our heart rate, but it also interrupts our negative thinking. And then the A stands for acknowledge God. It's a simple prayer. God, I know you are present with me right now. Because often our fear and our anxiety is based on the fact we see ourselves alone. The L stands for list what you need. Philippians 4, chapter, Philippians 4, verses 4 through 6 tell us, don't worry about anything. Pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for what He's done. And then the M is for meditate. And the meditation, if we, if we worry, we already know how to meditate. But in this case, we're going to learn how to meditate on God's Word, like Joshua 1 says. And we're going to repeat over and over again. God is here, and he will take care of it. So I use the calm technique when I feel my physical symptoms escalating because I want to reduce those symptoms so that I can reconnect with God. Yes, and as you mentioned, one of the important things is really taking our thoughts captive to Christ. And Philippians, again, Philippians 4, 8, and 9 tell us what to keep our thoughts upon or what to meditate on. And, I, you know, if you get the negative out, you could bring the positive in, as we are told in the Bible, that we're to keep our thoughts on whatever is true and honorable and right and pure, lovely, admirable. Think on those things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Right? Absolutely. And those are some of the reasons why those verses, they are so powerful and they are so life-giving. When we set our mind on those things, God's Holy Spirit is able to do something in our hearts that we can't do for ourselves. And my hope throughout the book was to give folks a way to organize in their minds under stress how to use the Spirit-enabled tools that God gives us, because it is God's presence and it is God's power that gives us victory over worry. And for someone who uh, isn't sure, what should I do here? What should I do now? It is an encouragement to memorize God's Word, and this is how you can pull it out and use it when you're under stress. Right, and you also talk, I thought it was... I thought it was wonderful that you talked about worry versus wonder. Would you say something about that, please? I love this idea of wonder. Yes. Because when we worry, we always assume the worst. Yeah. But when I talk, especially when I talk with women in audiences, I say that, oh, I say that a wonder woman, not the superhero, but a wonder woman, is a woman that lives in expectation and anticipation of what God is going to do. And so when we have eyes of wonder and uncertainty, we do not assume the worst. We wait for God's best. And wonder doesn't mean that, oh, it's all going to be sunshine and roses. But wonder 
helps us to remember that the almighty God of the universe, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, who can do the impossible, is the God that knows everything that we're going through in that moment. And we don't have to know the future. We can just wonder how God is going to get us through it. And try to see from his perspective and rather than our own. You talk about that also, right? I do. Because uncertainty is hard for all of us, isn't it? Yes. When we're not sure about what the future, yeah, when we don't know if our, if our parent is going to survive cancer, if we don't know if our child is going to overcome their addiction, if we don't know if we're going to lose our job or not, or if we're going to have to deal with terrorist attacks or religious persecution, those things can keep us up at night. But when we think about uncertainty, we feel that if God would just give us the answers, then that's what will give us peace. But getting the answers aren't where we find peace at. Peace is only found in trusting God. When Jesus says, I leave you a gift that the world cannot give you, it's my peace. That's the gift that you and I need more than anything when we're not sure what the future lies. We need more of God, not more answers. Yes. How did you battle with worry? And how did your battle impact your family and friends? Because you mentioned that you were actually diagnosed with panic attacks, right? And you really had some really bad ways. Yeah. I had a very dark season of life, and I had anxiety and depression. Um, panic, there were times when I definitely had panic and meltdowns. Uh-huh. Uh, the season of life for me was when my children were smaller, and the breaking point came when I had a child who uh, needed a medical test, and I had just, we were in such a difficult season of life. It was that season when the kids are small, and yeah. you've got all kinds of extra expenses and bills and car payments and and God used this one little incident to bring me to my breaking point and it was the point at which I had to take that very first step in my worry battle and surrender I had tried everything I tried to fix I tried to manipulate I tried to nag and drove my family crazy but at that point when I realized that there was nothing that I could do but turn toward God that's when I really turned my worry battle over to God. And instead of trying to fix things on my own, which only led me to more worry and anxiety, that I just stopped and said, okay, God, I give up. I have to stop trying to fix things that only you can fix. And I have to learn how to trust in you instead of trying to always find the answers. Right. And how often do the things we worry about actually happen? And even even these things, if they were to happen, aren't most of them out of our control? Oh, yes. The studies tell us, there's lots of studies out there that say 80 to 85% of what we're worried about never happens. All of those worst-case scenarios that we envision in our minds, they never happen, and we know that intuitively, but 85%, that means that only 15%, no, that 15% is a hard 15%. If the worst happens, it can really be crushing, but when people who experience the worst of their fears 
when they actually looked back on it, what they discovered was that not only did they handle that difficult situation better than they ever thought they could, but they also said that that situation made them stronger and more courageous. So even though the vast majority of what we're worried about will never happen, when we do face that tough time, we find that we're going to get through it better than what we thought. And in time, we're going to realize that it made us a stronger person. Amen. Many times in response to sharing our worries, we're told to just pray about it. Why can hearing that advice make things worse for us instead of offering reassurance? Well, prayer is powerful. Absolutely, prayer is our way of talking with God. But for me, when I used to worry, and I remember during those hard worry battle days, I'd be at church, and there would be so many things going wrong, and I would have well-meaning friends say, oh, Barb, you just need to pray about it. And I would think, I did pray about it. I'm still worried. Yeah. And I began to feel so guilty God must be so disappointed in me. How could I call myself a Christian and still worry? But it was during my worry battle that we go back again to those tools and those techniques that I realized that prayer was just one of the tools that God gave me. That that cliche, just pray about it, is only part of the picture. That I would pray, and then I would have to do what I talk about in the book, fight in faith. And fighting in faith is using those spirit-empowered tools of peace and courage and strength and using them and praying. And that's how God showed me where he wanted to give me victory over worry. Yeah. What is the difference between worry and anxiety? Many people use them interchangeably, and actually, uh-huh. once upon a time, I used to sell, uh, and uh, I used to sell a, um, an antidepressant, and so I used to sit and talk with patients in waiting rooms about worry and anxiety. Worry is often categorized as these torturesome mental thoughts. The old English word for worry actually meant to strangle. So when you think about worry, it's those what-if mental movies. I call it worry flicks. Like Netflix, I call Uh it worry flicks. And anxiety, that's the physical symptoms. That's when you have that jittery feeling or it's that fight or flight. It's when you have that sick-to-the-feeling stomach or you're not able to sleep where your hands are sweaty and nervous. So a lot of those physical symptoms accompany anxiety. And in the book, I use the words interchangeably, but both of them are in in essence. It's that feeling like you're in danger and that you Uh want to run away or shut down. Uh Uh-huh. You know, getting back to that whole conversation we were having about how... People don't always like to hear just pray about it. Sometimes when those kinds of things are said, and I guess we ought to be careful about saying them to other people because it can really make one angry with God. And what do you tell us to do when we get those feelings? When I remembered 
people, well-meaning people saying, just pray about it. Yeah. There would be times when I would feel like, in a chapter of my book called Cliffhangers, I talk about a time going, you know what, there were lots of situations when I felt like I was dangling off the edge of a cliff. And was God just sitting in heaven eating potato chips just wondering, <laughs> was I going to be able to hold on or not? Right. That's, how, that's how I felt. Yeah. I'd be praying and going, God, do you not see me hanging here? Are you go- are you just going to watch or do something? But what I've had to come to realize is that when I think about this cliffhanger, uncertainty, not knowing what's next, that's from my perspective. But God has no cliffhangers. And the challenge for me has been to learn how to see uncertainty from God's perspective instead of looking at it from my perspective. And so I've had a couple of eye-opening moments. And the first eye-opening moment was, I don't know everything that God knows. And then the second eye-opening moment was, I don't want to be responsible for everything that God knows. Because if God told me everything that would happen in my life, I would be worried about how I would handle everything that would be happening in my life. And so could I get to the place where I could learn how to be content that God has only given me what I can handle in this moment, and I have to trust that he's protecting me with what he hasn't given me or told me. Yeah, and you say if you get angry with him, just start talking to him and letting him know how you feel, just like David did, right? Absolutely. David shows us this beautiful model for how he would just speak with God and explain his anguish. And Jesus also does the same thing in the Garden of Gethsemane. Yes, always. We remember... Yes, Jesus was facing, he knew he would be beaten, and he knew he would face death. And there's that scene in the Garden of Gethsemane, I write about it in a chapter titled, God If, where Jesus, he is so candid with God about that deep moment of stress. And he says, my father, if, he didn't say, what if this happens, or what if that happens? He brings all of that anguish to God, and he says, God, if... And the example for me is that when I am facing extreme stress or worry, anxiety, instead of saying God, instead of saying what if, to follow Jesus' example and say, God, if, if this happens, I know you are with me. I don't like it. I wish it would go away. But God, if, invites God into my situation, and I'm always going to do better when I invite God into my difficult situation. Yes. There are verses about worry throughout the New Testament, but why did you focus your biblical study of worry on the book of Joshua? I know it's very unique. It's unique. I was exposed. It was one of those situations, I worked on staff at my church for 14 years, and I was a part of a weekend series where our senior pastor asked a group of us to choose a person in the Bible that we admired most. And I've always admired Joshua. I love that he was a warrior. He was Moses' assistant. He grew into this capable leader. But when I opened up to the very first chapter of the book of Joshua, what struck me 
was the fact that there were three verses in one chapter where God kept repeating the same thing, be strong and courageous. And then in verse 9 of chapter 1, God said, do not be afraid or discouraged. And I thought that those were unique words that God would say to a man who was a valiant soldier, who had been apprenticed by one of God's, one of the, one of the models in Scripture for us of humility and leadership. And so was there something to explore here in Joshua's life? Was there something happening in the deepest recesses of Joshua's mind that maybe he had a little worry and anxiety to deal with? And in fact, all throughout the book of Joshua, God tells his people, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged. For the Lord God is with you. And that word for is powerful for me because it's a prepositional phrase that taught, that basically links one relationship to the next. And so every time Joshua is told to be strong and courageous for, it's not because Joshua's prowess, it's not because of his leadership abilities, it's not because he's amazing, it is because God is with him and for him in every circumstance, real or imagined. And that lesson is a powerful lesson that we all need to have in these days of unparalleled uncertainty. Oh, yes. Well, Barb, let me say this. I told a relative that I was reading this book, and she said, oh, I want to read it, too. I want to get that book. <laughs> let me say this. I'm sure that it's going to help many, and we thank you so much for it. And I'm just going to say goodbye, and God bless for now. Thank you very much. I appreciate spending this time with you. Blessings on you and your ministry as well. Thank you so much, Barb. Okay, bye for now. Love was made for me and you. Love was made for me.